In our series, we're in our series in Ecclesiastes, we're calling it Under the Sun, which is a phrase that happens over and over. Uh, the teacher's talking about life uh, on earth, under the sun, and today we're going to talk about work. So I want you to turn to your neighbor, and if you can remember, tell them what your first job was and how much you made, okay? If you are young, a young person and you don't, haven't had a job yet, tell Tell your neighbor what you'd like your first job to be, maybe, okay? Go ahead, take a moment and do that. Okay, does anyone have a really crazy first job? No, no, good. Babysitting, how many of you? Babysitting, good. Um, Paper route, anyone? There you go, okay. Um, My first job was at a pool store. Uh, selling pool products to keep pool clean. I was 16. I got paid the major amount of $4.05 an hour, which might I say, because of my good work, finally went up to $4.15 an hour. Incredible. Now, the problem is I didn't do nothing about pools, and the science made no sense to me at all, and I constantly gave people bad uh, information. So I am sorry to aqua pools. I admit it now, finally here in public. Please forgive me, all right? Um, now, we're talking about work today, and, but in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's important for us to understand the context from which the author is having this conversation for us, okay? So there's a couple things I want you to know, a couple things I want to remind us. Pat has mentioned several of these already. There's two voices in the book. The first is the author, and the second is the teacher. Turn to Ecclesiastes 1.1. The author shows up in verse 1, he introduces us to the teacher, and then he doesn't show up again, actually, to the very end of the book in chapter 12. In verse 1, he says, and I'm using the New Living Translation, he says, these are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. So he's letting us know that the teacher is a son of David, um, or in the line of David, most people think, believe that, that is Solomon. So the majority of the book is Solomon's teaching, which starts in verse 3, and it goes all the way through chapter 12, verse 7. Now read verse 2. My Bible says everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. Now jump all the way to chapter 12, if you can, verse 8. And mine says the same thing, right? Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. You see that? Those are the bookends. Those are the bookends that describe the teacher's teaching. This sums up the whole of what he's going to say. All right? So verse 2 all the way, 12 chapters, verse 8. And then after that, uh, it comes the author. And he, says, he, says, he does say this in verse 9. Keep in mind the teacher was wise He taught the people everything he knew. He listened carefully to many proverbs, studying and classifying them. The teacher sought to find just the right words to express truths clearly. The author definitely wants you to know that he wants you to pay attention to what the teacher has said. Because it matters. This guy knows what he's talking about. He's done a lot of study. And he is definitely very wise. And not only is he wise, but he's chosen his words carefully for your sake and mine, for the reader's sake. Um, Now, what else do we know about this author that shows up at the end and this first verse? It very well could be Solomon as well. 
in just two different voices, but we just don't know. It just remains anonymous. So that is one opinion, very much so. But we don't know. Um, Go to verse 12. He says, my child, let me give you some further advice. So he basically, at the end of this book, the author sums up. He's like, hey, look, after you've paid attention to all that the, 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 the wise teacher has said, let me just sum it up for you. But it's a child and parent relationship right here. So in my mind, like if you're a high school student or a young adult, young professional especially, Ecclesiastes is a great, great book for you. Because it's someone who is a little advanced in years taking great wisdom that he's found about life and saying, hey, before you enter in and go after life, know these truths. Like, make sure you have this in mind. This is important. Um, so please pay attention. Uh, and then the, at the, the last verse is the author giving his conclusion. Now, um, so the author wants us to hear what the teacher has to say Listen carefully to it, and then also come to our own conclusion. Um, now, verse 2, going back to that, those bookends, right? Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. I remember reading this as a kid, and I was like, this sounds like the worst Bible verse I've ever read. You know what I mean? I just didn't, that sounds terrible. That's the most despairing thought I could think of, that everything is meaningless. And it's really important that we understand what the author is actually saying because he's not actually saying what I thought he was saying. The word for meaningless is hevel. Can we say that? Hevel. Well, all right, one more try. Hevel. Hevel is an important word for us. It's the context from which all this conversation happens. Hevel means smoke or vapor. Right? Pat mentioned this already in his first sermon, and it's the idea that life, man, it's not that it's meaningless. It has good, and it has beauty, but as soon as you go to grasp it, it's gone. It's like smoke or vapor. A better word for it, actually, in our day and language is probably enigma. Life is an enigma or a paradox, meaning it's un. Um, you can't figure it out. The unexpected happens. It's Hevel. For instance, you think you've finished your McDonald's lunch, and you look in the bag, and you have what Jim Gaffigan calls the bonus fry. <laughs> Life is Hevel. Just doesn't make sense. Or you work really, really, really hard at something and you honor God, and you do it right, and you believe God is leading you, and it fails. Hevel. And we understand this. It's the person who loses their life before their time. The pain that caused. That doesn't make any sense. It's Hevel. It's going through a four-year adoption process, and at the end, you have no kids. It's Hevel, right? It's showing up. He finally made it back to church. And he found out the worship pastor was preaching. (laughs) Hevel. It's an enigma. (laughs) And then he laughs like that. Hevel. All right. Um, 
It's unpredictable. In the teacher's words, it's like chasing after the wind. You can't figure it out. And God is the only one who can. His ways are higher than ours. Now, it's important to understand life is heaven for us. We can't expect or understand it. But it's not heaven for God. He gets life. <laughs> He's in total control. He's totally sovereign. He has full knowledge. It makes sense to him. But his ways are so much higher than, than ours. And the, the, the teacher's point in this book is he's going to take all these things that we chase after for meaning and satisfaction in life, and he's going to deconstruct them, and he's going to show you how they're hevel. It's a chasing after the wind, because only God satisfies. Okay? So <clears throat> we're going to look at what today the conversation we're going to look at is about work, but that's the context. Uh, and it's a fun one. Work is a fun one. Uh, so let me just pray, a really simple prayer. And if, 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 as I say this, if you could say it to God in your own words, God, give me ears to hear. God, give me eyes to see. And God, help me understand what it is that you're saying to me. And give me the grace to be obedient in it and to follow you. Right? All right, great. Now, Amen. What do we mean by work? This is key. Because I am talking about CEOs and business owners and nurses and teachers and pastors and whatever, but I'm also talking about the work that God has given you to do. For some of you, that's discipling kids, raising a family, it's running a household, it's caring for a sick relative or spouse or someone. Like, it's not just a job nine to five that we're talking about. Work is whatever task God has put before you tomorrow to do that you have to take effort and do to accomplish. It might be being a student. It might be making art. Right? It might be caring for an individual. But that's, that's work. Okay, so let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And uh, verse 2 so he starts, again, the bookend, everything is hevel, 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 everything is utterly and completely hevel. Verse 3, he asks this question, what do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Meaning, if life is hevel, it's a paradox, what does working hard really get you? And he's going to go into some massive pursuits here if you read on through the book. He's going to pursue pleasure and wisdom, and status, and wealth, and work, all right? And there's two, when we talk about work, and as we read this, there's two truths that I want you to see, all right? The first is this, work is hevel. Life isn't just hevel, work itself can be hevel. It can be a paradox, enigma, the moment you try and, and grasp it or use it to satis bring satisfaction and meaning to your life, it's not going to work. Okay? But also, work, and, and this is the good news, work and the ability to enjoy it is a gift from God. It's a good thing. All right, so go on. Let's move to chapter 2. We're just going to cruise through some, like, look at some of the scriptures he uses. Chapter 2, verse 18. I'll give you a second to get there. 
And this is what the teacher says. He says, I came to hate, hate all my hard work here on earth. For I must leave to others everything I've earned. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? Yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. So I gave up in despair, questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill. Then they must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. Has this ever happened to you? You work hard on something and someone else gets the reward for it? So what do people get? He said, this is a tra- tragedy, right? So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It's all hevel. It's all hevel. Um, right after... Go to verse 24. So I decided there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? So he says, basically, I can work hard and it doesn't even benefit me. It just benefits someone else. And I don't even know if they're going to be wise with it. Right? He, he works, so on one hand he says work is a gift from God, enjoying it is a gift from God. On the other hand, I hate my work. You see there's two options here? So I hate my work, he hates it, it, it brings anxiety, he sees people filled with pain and grief, their minds cannot rest. Have you ever not been able to sleep sleepless nights because your mind just can't rest? These are all things that are possible. So you, he's kind of painting this picture of two realities of work. Now there's a profound truth in here um, in verse 25. Simple but profound. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from God? That means that your enjoyment in life, anything, is a gift from God. <laughs> Seriously. It's not a fruit of your labor. It's not something that you are owed. It is actually just a gift from God. Beautiful. All right, let's go on. Turn to chapter 3, next chapter. We're just setting this up, and then we're going to talk about it. Again, you go to verse 9, you're going to see the same question. What do people really get? Like, what do we really get for all We work so hard, what does it really get us? And then he goes to verse 13. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. You starting to hear the refrain going on and on? Move down to chapter 22. He's going to add to it as we go. So I saw that there's nothing better for people than to be happy in their work. And listen to this. That is our lot in life. And no one can bring us back to see what happens after we die. So he's saying that God has designed it. So here's the simple, profound truth. God has designed this life so that you could enjoy and find satisfaction in your work. That is actually part of the design. It's meant to be that way. It's a gift that God has for you. It's not just something that some people get. It's for all of us. It's part of the grand design. 
All right, moving on. Um, and I know we're going through this fast. Chapter 4, verse 8. Next chapter. You with me? Okay, cool. 4, verse 8. He says this, This is the case of a man who is all alone, without a child or brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, Who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. So again, we see working to gain wealth for yourself, Hevel. It's a chasing after the wind, especially if you have no one to share it with. So someone to share and enjoy our work with, that too, that is a gift from God. This is where the famous passage goes on, two are better than one. We're not going to get into that for time. Go to the next chapter, verse, chapter 5, verse 16. We're cruising. This too is a very serious problem. People leave this world no better off than when they came. All their hard work is for nothing. Isn't this such as a great morning? <laughs> right? Have you worked hard? <laughs> nothing. It's worth nothing. It's worthless. Like working for the wind. Listen to this. Throughout their lives. They live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. Is that the kind of life you want? That's a real thing. And and work can be at the center of that for your life. But here's the alternative, right? Going on, verse 18. Even so, I've noticed one thing, at least one thing is good, guys. Okay, we got one good thing. It is good for people to eat drink and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them and to accept their lot in life. And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. This indeed is a gift from God. Okay, so he's adding even further still. And he brings in this idea of your lot, right? It's, it's, your lot is, is your life. You think about what you got to do tomorrow, that's your lot. Okay? It's what God has given to you to do and provided for you so you can provide for your life. That's your lot. And, and the profound truth is this. Enjoying your lot is a gift from God. No matter what it is. Now, it doesn't mean you can't change your lot. God doesn't have plans to move you on. Or you can't prosper. What does he say? Wealth is a gift from God. So prospering that too. You're not, it's, it is not the idea of being stuck in something. It's the idea of enjoying whatever it is that God has given you today. Okay? And that's profound. I mean, that's really profound. The idea of, this idea of accepting your lot. And that is a gift from God. All right, last one, chapter 9. So you got to go forward a little bit. I hear some pages turning. My digital pages are flying. Chapter 9, verse 7. So go ahead. 
eat your food with joy. Someone's going to the buffet after this, and they're like, I'm just so glad for this verse today. Right? And drink your wine with a happy heart. If you got a good bottle of wine at home, go for it. For God approves of this. This is an interesting thing with alcohol, right? Let's talk about that just for one second. Wine is a gift from God. If, if you're looking for a biblical thing that says wine is bad, you won't find it. In fact, Jesus made wine. I don't know if you know that. It was like his first miracle. But, right, to find meaning and satisfaction in wine, which is pleasure, is hevel. And any kind of drunkenness is sin. Right, so there's a tension there, right? You see the tension of enjoying what God's given us versus abusing it or using it, making it. It's the same thing with work. If we make work the thing, there's something about that. And we'll, get, we'll talk more about that in a second. But God approves of this. I mean, this is God's gift. His design in life is for you. To, okay, so our, just with the person that you came with today or someone close around you, take a second and just rate your enjoyment of life right now on a scale of one to whatever, five or ten, all right? Five or ten being the best. Just say, hey, are you enjoying life? Are you enjoying your lot? Let's be honest. Go ahead, take a second and talk to someone about that around you. It is God's, God's will and desire that we could all say ten. part of his design. So you need to hear that. Whatever God has given you to do, because it it is a gift from him, the enemy would love to see that be the thing that you hate or that you're tired of or that feels too hard. He would love it if it caused you anxiety, despair, real emotional and mental health issues. Those are a thing. I mean, those, that's a real thing. Right? He would love for you, for your work to lead your life to ruin rather than be what God intended it to be in your life, which is a satisfying and good gift. So, I mean, the question then becomes, how do we, so how do we get to 10, right? How do we enjoy this gift from God? And I think the author has some some help for us there too. All right, so go back to chapter four. And this is the first thing I see. And my buddy Jeremy just texted, like, he texted me this verse as, as I was like reading it. And it was like, oh yeah, God, aha moment in this passage. It really opened it up. Thank you, Jeremy. You're the whole reason we have this sermon today. You and Jesus. Um, it says this. Fools fold their idle hands, leading them to ruin. And yet, better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing after the wind. Okay? Quietness. One hand of of quietness, one hand of hard work. Now, two handfuls of idleness, like not working hard, you know what that is? Ruin. That's what he says. Two handfuls of work, that is hevel. It's chasing after the, the wind. To one handful of quietness. Now, the word quietness means, you can also, maybe your Bible says, anyone's tranquility? You have that? 
Um, another uh, translation is rest, right? A handful of rest and a handful of work. Now, he's not saying that you shouldn't work hard. Um, quickly look at ch- chapter 11, verse 6. He's not saying take it easy, don't work, right? Plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon for you don't know if profit will come from one activity or another or maybe both. The the author wants you to work hard. He just doesn't want you to only work hard. So the first key to unlocking this gift is what we call balance. And that should make sense. Balance, a balanced life. Um, but whatever God has given you to do, work ha- hard at it, go after it. But there needs to be, and we got to cultivate into our life, rhythms of rest and work. Now, some of you just, we just celebrated a rosebud, right? So some of you are like, sleep, rest, what? And that's true, right? We did, you know, maybe you have four kids and life is nuts and you just are like, I'm not going to rest for 25 years. Okay, I get it. I don't have kids. I have no right to tell you how to figure that out, okay? So I'm not here to teach you how to do that. You have to go to someone wiser. I would suggest Mike Locke, right? Mike, can you teach us all that maybe? Thank you, buddy. Um, Like, but we need rhythm in our life of work and rest. We need both. Now, also, when we start to talk about rest, we need to change our mind because it doesn't just mean ceasing or leisure, right? But rest, like this is something that God gives, a handful of work and the, ha- the rest, the ability to enjoy it, that's a gift from God. So it's something that God gives and it's rest of the soul. We need to start thinking of rest, not just as not working, but are you at rest inside right here are you at peace do you have shalom with the world with God do you know how to be directly connected to the one who gives rest I mean we're talking basic following Jesus here do you know how to have a relationship with Jesus to cease from all activity, to run to his feet, and to receive rest from him. Okay? We need a balanced life. So that's the big, what's the first question? Do you have a rhythm of life that allows you to be with Jesus and cease from work and enjoy what God has provided for you? If your rhythm is off, chances are you're not enjoying God's gift of, of work. So what else can impact our ability to live a balanced, balanced life uh, when it comes to work? And uh, two things. The first one is this. Do we have a right view of work? Do we even understand, like, are we thinking correctly about it? Because work, like we said, is a gift from God, right? And it's a good thing. It's part of God's design, like the teacher said in chapter 3. And think about it this way. Where's the first place we see work in the Bible? Do you know? Eden. It's in the garden. 
And you know who, who does it? It's God. God creates the world in six days. And it says at the beginning of chapter 2, he ceases and he looked at all his work. He, he finished it and he looked at it and he said, it was very good. And he rested. So when you and I know how to work hard, then cease and rest and enjoy that work, we're actually reflecting the image of God. That's part of God's design. God himself does that at the beginning. Right? It's beautiful. It's before the fall, guys. And, and think about it this way, too. The garden, is, it, is Eden finished? Is it done? No. So God finished with his work, but then he puts Adam and Eve in the garden, and he gives them a work. And he says, okay, subdue it, fill it, take care of it, make it prosper, go for it. So God creates an unfinished earth that needs work before the fall, before sin, before brokenness. Man's and women's job to tend to the earth, to subdue it, to cultivate something beautiful and good. Like that is part of God's great design. It's part of his creation before it goes away. So, first of all, do we have a right view of work? That can get messed up to you by um, how we view our lot, right? The teacher says accepting your lot is a gift from God. And there's a lot that can bring unbalance to our life when it comes to work in this, in this, in this area. One is, right, sometimes we're chasing position, status, recognition, wealth, security. Um, and we can convince the, ourselves that those things, and once we have those things, we'll be okay. We'll be satisfied. We'll have meaning. We'll be okay. And that's all hevel. It's all chasing after the wind. And so here's the crazy thing. When we chase work to make our life meaningful, we will hate it. But if you accept your lot and thank God for it, you get to find satisfaction in your work. That's a gift from him. You see the difference, the contrast? But sometimes we're not able to accept our lot because we have a selfish idea of work, right? Uh, work is a means to our ends. It's, it's meant to satisfy. We just talked about that. It's a pursuit of something that should satisfy something in us. And in fact, guys, this is the American dream. right? It's, it's, it's built into our founding of our country, the right to pursue happiness. You have the right, by the way. I'm not trying to take any rights from you. But I'll tell you, that pursuit is hevel. And it ends in despair. <laughs> We're part of a different story. Not the American story. We're here in America, but we're part of a much bigger and more beautiful story, right? The same God who created the universe stepped into our hevel 
and took it on himself so that we could live differently, have a new life with him, be part of his kingdom and his way. When we work, we reflect the image of God. Whatever God has given you to do tomorrow is an opportunity to cultivate something of value and of good for the world and for those around you. It's not meant to be for your end. It's meant for the the good of others. That's work. That's actually God's design. That's what he does. And when we reflect him, we actually find joy. You ever heard it's better to give than, yeah, it's the same idea. Followers of Jesus work to the glory of God. We reflect God in our attitude, the way we dignify and bring good to others, the way we share God's heart to make the world better and to bring beauty into the world that God made. Sometimes, though, it's not that we're selfish. It's just that dealing with Hevel is hard. You know what I mean? Have you ever, ever thought, this is not what I expected? It was supposed to be different. I was looking for more. This is not what I signed up for. Does that resonate with you at all? Have you ever felt like that? See, like Hevel, the enigma of life, and it might even seem righteous. Like we carry like a like a right expectation. Man, if you do the right thing, if you honor God, it's, it's like learning finally to trust God with your finances and then you lose your job, right? It just doesn't seem right. Hevel. Things should be different. Feel different. I mean, can't we expect some things from God? God, I trusted you. This isn't what I wanted. Um, and I'll just I'll share a little bit of my story. Like I, I started counseling a few weeks ago, which is fantastic for me. I realized that um, I was idling emotionally and angry. You know what I mean? Like I was just angry before, and I'm a pretty people think I'm chill, but inside I'm like a volcano. Right, so I hide that well. Um, if you know me, you're probably like, you're not that chill, Josh. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, I, I, we went, my wife and I went through an adoption process for four years. And I, I have wanted kids my whole life. And I was really, I thought, man, this is going to end with kids, right? Same way when we're like, hey, we're going to have kids. Back 10, 15 years ago, I was like, Hey, this is going to end with kids, right? And uh, four years after, God has since moved us out of the process. And I really think that's his leading. And I'm fine with it. I know it's him. But I'm, I had this smoldering burn, like, inside my heart. And I, was, and I needed someone else to help me sort it out because the hevel was just too much. I was like, God, isn't it right for me just to think that you would 
bring me through this process of adoption to have a kid. And yet, that wasn't his purpose. See, life is hevel. It's unexpected. And sometimes our inability to let go of what we think things should be becomes what we hold on to for satisfaction instead of Jesus. And that is just going to lead to despair. We can't do that with our work. It's not going to satisfy like Jesus can. We can't do it with anything else. And so you have to have a right view of work. Lastly, we need a right view of God. And go to um, the end of the book. Ecclesiastes 12. And so the author, you know, verse 12. Hey, my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful for writing books is endless and much study wears you out. Basically, yeah, pay attention to what you've read, but don't focus on trying to figure this out. It'll wear you out. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands. For this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. And and if I could sum it up in terms that make sense to us, have a right view of God. This is how I would say it. Have a right view of God and walk with him. Have a right view of God and walk with him. What's a right view of God? First, God is the only one who satisfies. God has put what God has put before you tomorrow to do. That cannot satisfy your soul. No matter how good it is, only Jesus can. Right? Walk with him. He so desires to give you the gift of enjoying your work, your lot, and what he's provided for you through them. Right relationship with the one who gives the gift is the key to enjoying the gift. Right, what are we about here? Following Jesus, impacting others. Following Jesus. Part of that is learning to live our life in complete union with Jesus doing our work with him. Jesus himself said, come to me in Matthew 11, I'll give you rest for your soul. Peace, shalom in your inner being. John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus satisfies. It sounds so simple. And yet... The work of going to Jesus, the act of that, and receiving from him is a real thing. It's not something you believe. It's something you act on and do. We sing a hymn. I can't sing right now because I had this cold a couple weeks ago. But we we sang um, an old hymn a couple weeks ago, one of my favorites. All my life I had a longing for a drink from some clear spring that I hoped would quench the burning of the thirst I felt within. 
Hallelujah, I have found him. The one my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings. Through his blood, I now am saved. Okay. There's a lot more to the conversation we can have, especially like, what does it mean to have a Christian ethic of work? What does it mean to be moved by the gospel story and bring that into our work? We don't have time for that today. If you want to dig deeper in this, I have two resources for you. The first is really simple. It's, it's just the Bible Project's um, uh, overview of Ecclesiastes. Super helpful for me. I invite you to look at that if you're reading with us throughout this series. Two is a book by Tim Keller, um, Every Good Endeavor. And if you're struggling with your work, that's a really, really good book to read. It's practical, um, and he breaks down how the gospel changes and redeems the work that we do in the world. Um, Tim Keller, Every Good Endeavor. Great book. All right. Normally, at the end, I would pray, and we dismiss. Like, we bring the worship team up, and then we sing a song. And normally, we, when we do that, we try and pick songs to put words on your lips that help you respond, right, to what God is saying and doing. But this morning, we're going to do something different. Because I don't want to put words on your lips. I want you to use your own words this morning. So we're just going to have, to end, we're going to go through a time of prayer. There's going to be three slides that we go through. And so I just invite you right now to, to kind of, you can follow along. Let's put the first on the screen. And just in, in quiet before the Lord. In your own words, this is just how I said it. God, I've been trying to satisfy my soul in blank instead of you. You fill in that blank. I turn from that and look to you in faith. I invite you to continue the work of bringing satisfaction, rest, and enjoyment to my soul. Again, this is a guide. I want you to use your own words with the Lord. Okay? You can use these if you want. But just take a moment right where you are. Have that moment with God. There's going to be two other, two other prayers. This is the first one. Just do that now. Okay, second slide. I want you to identify the work God has given you to do. Name each one and thank him for it. Now, this might be a nine-to-five job. It might be several things. It might be raising grandkids. It might be discipling your kids. It might be caring for a newborn. Whatever it is, whatever several things, you know, it might be a ministry that God's given you. I want you to name them before the Lord and thank him for each one. Okay, lastly, I just want to invite, your, invite you to be quiet, be still. Just for like a minute, and I want you to receive this truth in the stillness. The work God has given you is good. It's a gift from him. Just be still before the Lord and let that soak in. Thank you. God, 
All right, would you stand up? Those who are praying this morning, if you make your way forward, we're going to close by reading a passage of Scripture out loud together from Psalm 34, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Um, Our prayer team, come on forward, and uh, let's read this out loud together. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in Him. Fear the Lord, you His godly people, for those who fear Him will have all they need. Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. Amen? You are loved. If you need prayer this morning, come forward. If you, you know, sometimes we can't sort things out by ourselves. Come talk to someone. Find someone. I'll gladly talk to you after the service. But church, you are loved. You have a good work in front of you today and tomorrow. And it's a gift from God. Enjoy it. Have a great week.